Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Third Impact Anime Podcast. Tonight on this episode, we are going to be talking about the brand new smash hit film Demon Slayer Mugen Train. I am your host, Austin. I am the coffee Hashira, and I am joined by a myriad of excellent co-hosts for this episode. Who do I have with me in, let's see, we're going to go in alphabetical order. So I'm A, so who's next after me? That, that's probably me, yeah, Edwin. That would be you. All right. Well, I'm the pork noodle Hashira. <laughs> Sounds delicious. Yep. And after E, who who's who's next after E? Give me one second. I'm doing the alphabet in my head. Okay, don't hurt yourself. No, I know this is a process. Just you're going to have to be patient with me. Hint, there's only 26. Okay, it's me. I'm next. Whew, that was <laughs> that, that was tricky. Hi everybody, it's Ryan and I am the monkey Hashira and that is spelled with two E's. <laughs> And finally, the last in our alphabet. Uh, it's Tori, the Hashira of napping. Mm, the sleepy That'd Hashira. be a very effective... Yes. Well, as we've seen in this film that we'll talk about later, putting things to sleep can be a very powerful skill. So we'll definitely talk about that shortly in our episode. But yes, we're talking about the new Demon Slayer movie that came out in theaters... Uh, in Japan last year in 2020 and came out in theaters in the U.S. and other territories, I think, um, a, about a month ago or so. That's generally when we all saw it. Yeah. Um, we are recording this episode in, er, in mid-May of 2021, so we are very firmly in the um, time frame where many, many people across the country have been fully vaccinated against uh, the coronavirus pandemic. So we are on the way out of the pandemic. There are still um, many thousands of people that still need to go get their shots, but they are widely available. If you listening at home have not gotten your shot yet, please go do us all a favor and do yourself a wonderful favor and get yourself a vaccine. That would be a great thing for you to do so that you can go back to the movie theaters like we all got the chance to do. Yeah, um, I'm pretty sure we're all vaccinated at this point, which means cons are in the future. Yes. Yep. Uh, now that people are starting to get their shots, we can start having conventions again in the coming months. Hopefully by the end of the year, fingers crossed, I'm not I'm not saying anything definitively, but hopefully by the end of the year, we can have conventions back to some some degree of, of normal, normality, normalcy, whatever. That word's with, overused, but you with know With you I mean. saying that, you've already jinxed it. Yeah. Yeah, see, I hope that's not the case, but, you know, knock on wood. If, if I did jinx it, you, can, you guys can blame me. 100% my fault. All of the corporate press releases will now start with, in unprecedented times of normality... <laughs> In buzzword of buzzword, I am really, I am really tired of like, anytime I like talk to somebody there and I'm like, oh yeah, so, you know, what do you like to do normally? And they're like, oh, you know, before COVID when things were normal. And I'm like, I swear to God, if anybody says that to me again, like, obviously, yes, it's not normal right now, but I yes, think we, we all, all are hyper aware of that. Yes, we all understand contextual communication. You don't have to necessarily make that, you know whatever anyway yeah. any way so all of that being said yes we are all of us here are fully vaccinated i think most of all the third impact anime staff has been vaccinated at this point of which we are all super grateful for the opportunity to have 
done and encourage you to do the same. Um, so, other than that, briefly, what has everyone been up to lately? I guess for me, I've been, you know, playing a lot of video games. I finally, after all these years, started Persona 5. And I am playing finally. Persona 5 Royal. I know, I am super late to the party. I kind of regret waiting so long. But I regret I... you starting it. Well, thank you, Edwin. I appreciate the support. You're welcome. Um, thank you. Um, but I'm enjoying it quite a bit. Um, I I think part of my initial hesitancy to actually start the game was the fact that I knew it was going to be like a 150 plus hour experience. But it's it's fairly breezy. Like sitting down to play it in my sessions of like, you know, sitting down to play video games, I find myself very easily breezing through an hour, and it doesn't feel like a slog or anything like that. It seems it's like going to be like closer large... to a hundred. It only really will get like mm -hmm. stressful if you're stopping to meticulously like figure out your schedule so you can max all the social links like I did. Yeah, I, I, it's funny, I was actually on my PlayStation 3 uh, yesterday, and I was looking at my friends list and comparing trophies, and I looked at yours, and I was like, oh my gosh, Ryan got a 100% platinum on this game? Yeah. You crazy man. <laughs> okay, I should, you... I should clarify that also. Getting a platinum on Royal is significantly easier than getting it on base Persona 5. Like, significantly. Nice like, flex. Okay, yeah, I was not I'm able very... to get a. Rather, I didn't try to get a platinum on uh, base Persona Five because it's just like it's absurdly impossible. Like it, you have to basically do like a lot of New Game Plus, which is another like hundred or so hours. You have to beat every difficult fight. Royal mm. basically just makes you do like a few little mundane things. It's really not that bad to actually platinum mm. it. But either okay. way. That game is worth platinuming because it's so good. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and honestly, I, I mean, I say I regret waiting so long, but I, I do and I don't. It's like I kind of do regret waiting so long to like be part of the discourse and part of the fandom whenever it was at its height. But at the same time, I am kind of glad that I waited for Royal because it seems like it has a lot of quality of life improvements over yeah. the original um, so I'm grateful for that, I guess. Royal, though, there's, like, I'm not entirely a fan of certain things they did, because there is a way to miss the Royal content, and it's, it's kind of difficult to do. I don't really want to say anything, just in case, like, you don't want to know, or anybody who's listening mm -hmm. doesn't want to know, but, like, mm -hmm. if you are somebody out there who's listening and wants to experience Royal, like, the full, full experience then google what you need to do before you like actually get into it otherwise you might miss it and waste like a hundred hours of your time well ryan what have you been up to lately well today i finished the attack on titan game on ps4 oh very nice how was that uh i have a lot of thoughts about it but i'll try to make them brief um basically that game's gotten absurdly expensive by the way if you're a collector like i am um mm. for some ungodly reason it just has like supply issues so it only got like one printing so it's still really expensive um so getting it was a pain in its own way but then i like played it and it's a good game like the titan combat is very fun but it it feels like it has a couple of glitchy moments in it like it wasn't it was not a perfect game by any means like sometimes the titans you were 
supposed to be luring to this area so you could capture them. And they just, like, sit there literally walking in circles. And I'm just like, can you just come over here so I can get on with my day? And Let me kill you. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> sometimes I just, like, would get hit or die and it just didn't feel fair. And the very mm. end of the game, like, so the first game covers season one and the beginning of season two. But the season two bits is uh, an epilogue. Like, it ends with you capture or, uh, yeah, capturing Annie. And then season two bits begin with seeing the Beast Titan. And you have to do expeditions to, like, unlock various areas around the walls uh, in order to unlock the new epilogue chapters. But it takes so long because you have to do, like, 20, like, five-minute segments in order to unlock a new epilogue chapter and it's honestly not worth it it feels like really bad padding so this is a koei tecmo joint right yeah so how does it feel compared to like their other games like i don't know hyrule warriors or strikers or something like that yeah it's funny you mentioned that i actually am playing strikers as well but i'm not i'm not super far into it yet um but it's different like it's not like an onslaught of enemies like you fight like a reasonable amount of titans per en engagement and but it does have that vibe like you have like side missions that happen during a during like while you're doing something and people get in peril and each mission is affected based on like how you perform like it definitely does have the dynasty warrior vibe but it's not quite the same Hmm. Like, it feels a little toned down, which is actually kind of a good thing in this case, because I couldn't imagine fighting, like, 40,000 titans at once. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. That would be a lot of models on screen that are huge. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, Tori, Tori, give us the what's what mm -hmm. with you. Um, I just finished my spring semester of college, so that's that's nice and good. Yay, um, clapping! Woo! Ooh. Um, so other than that, I mostly have been gaming. Um, I picked up Spirit Fair not that long ago, and that's been a lot of fun. Ooh. It's a very relaxed before you go to bed type game, but it's also very sad at the same time. Definitely have gotten a little teary eyed while playing it, but I'm an easy crier, as we all know. I've um, had that on my list for like a really long time. Is it like all I pretty much was expecting it to be? I think and it's by really that, good. I mean good. Yeah, I think it's really good. It definitely is like resource management and stuff like that. And usually I am not a huge fan of things like that, but they do it in a way that's really entertaining and really uh, fun, even though it gets a little uh, repetitive. But the story is what makes it really special for sure. And then um, I started playing Genshin Impact, which no. I don't know why I picked that up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> So is it as much like Breath of the Wild as people say, or is that just kind of like people saying, oh, this is like Dark Souls, but it's actually not? Um, it kind of is. Wait, and... who says it's Dark Souls? No, no, no. Like, I don't I don't mean Genshin Impact is Dark Souls. Oh. I, mean, I mean people comparing things to Dark Souls. Oh. It kind sorry, of is sorry. Breath of the Wild. To clarify. <laughs> it is uh, kind of Breath of the Wildian. Um, it's open world. You have weapons that you collect and food and crafting and cooking. And um, the only thing that it doesn't have or that it does have that Breath of the Wild doesn't is the gotcha element. So you roll for characters, of course. Mm. Um, but I don't, I don't know much about it. Like, um, I avoided a lot of the 
the hype around it, I guess. And people still like really hardcore play it, but um, I'm just picking it up and I've not gotten very far in the story at all. So I'm interested to see kind of what it's all about and why people like it so much. Cause uh, unpopular opinion, Breath of the Wild didn't really grab me that much. So I don't know how this game's gonna do with me either since they play very mm. similarly. And a Take quick note back, for our well, listeners, followers. this will be the last episode that Ryan and Tori will be on simultaneously. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, like, I, I am definitely a person that totally understands both the people that couldn't get into Breath of the Wild and the people that love it, because I have been both of those people. Like, really? <laughs> yeah, like, my, my journey with that game has been um, wild, we'll say that. Like, I bought it whenever I got my Switch way back in 2017, played it for a few hours, and was just like, I don't think I like this game. And then I approached it last year, and I'm like, I think I love this game. So I've been, again, both of those people. So I understand, mm -hmm. Tori. I'm sure we will hear more about your Genshin Impact adventures in the future. Uh, yes. Edwin, what's up with you? Uh, you know, I'm just waiting for the new Guilty Gear to come out. Okay, what, what's this one called? I know they all have ridiculous names. Strive. That's Damn, very that's so simple. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> Is, where where are you going to play it? Uh, the beta comes out tomorrow, so I'll play it on my PS4. Nice. Very cool. I thought the beta came out like a couple weeks ago. You were playing it then too, I thought. There's a second beta. Oh. Yeah, man, beta plus. And with that, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will talk about Demon Slayer, the movie, Mugen Train. We're back from our break and we're going to be talking about Demon Slayer the movie Mugen Train, but before that we wanted to tell you guys a little bit about how you can support this podcast if you are interested in doing so. The easiest thing you can do is just go and visit our website, thirdimpactanime.com. There you can see a catalog of all of the previous episodes we've done, including some really amazing recent interviews that Sully has done with some of the folks responsible for one of the latest essay collections that was published about uh, anime and manga legend Leiji Matsumoto. It was co-edited by a previous guest of this podcast, the wonderful Helen McCarthy, and he's done interviews with almost all of the contributors that have worked on that book, so it's really fascinating to hear them speak about not only Leiji Matsumoto as a very influential creator, but also like the process of what scholarly academic anime studies looks like. So definitely would recommend checking out those interviews. Uh, in addition to that, we have all of our reviews that we've done over there, various anime TV series and films, etc. If you would like to support the podcast financially, you can find us on Patreon, and that's patreon.com slash thirdimpactanime. 
we don't have a huge amount of things related to like perks or whatever but boy howdy do we appreciate your support and we want to shout out all of our wonderful patrons that have supported us for quite a while we love you guys very much if i had your names in front of me i would read them out but i don't because i'm terrible but yes, those are the best ways to support us, in addition to following us on Twitter at TI underscore anime. But enough about that, let's talk about the movie. Real so, quick topic on that is if you do if you do want to support us more and you want like a custom tier where like we film Tori punching all of us in the face or something, like we're definitely willing to <laughs> consider that. I was oh, just yeah. thinking the first person to donate to the fifty dollar tier gets a personal German suplex by me every month. <laughs> now that is a premium kids why not italian <laughs> what why not an italian <laughs> she specified german because that's what it's called i don't know why it's not called the italian suplex it's the german suplex. i'm cutting mama mia ryan you need to learn Cut better yeah i'm yeah, cutting that out all that out that was that was a failed <laughs> joke <laughs> ryan please my brain hurts i'm ryan, trying please um Yes, the more money that is donated on Patreon, the more likelihood of Tori killing us increases. So if you want this podcast to end quickly, make sure to patronize. But anyway, let's talk about some anime in the form of Demon Slayer the movie. So if you guys have followed this podcast for any period of time, you would have noticed that we did an episode on the original TV series for Demon Slayer back, um, I think, about a year ago now. Um, so a lot of the stuff that we covered generally about Demon Slayer as a franchise was discussed in that episode. So please, we encourage you to go listen to that for sort of a baseline understanding of the franchise and um, how it got to this point. Um, but specifically, when we're talking about the film, uh, Tori, would you intro us by doing some of the uh, production information? Yeah, absolutely. The film was directed by Haru Sotozaki. Um, most notably, a lot of his credits are animation direction. So he did a lot of work for things like Fruits Basket and Hell Girl and quite a few other series. Um, but he was also the director, like the actual director of the Demon Slayer TV series. So he returned for the film, which you don't see often. Usually the film will go to another director. Our music was produced by uh, Go Sheena, who did a lot of music for Idolmaster and worked with Bandai Namco for quite a while. Um, and then Yuki Kajira, which do we need to give her an introduction at all? She always I mean, she's a queen. deserves an introduction. <laughs> <laughs> that's valid. She's been in like anything that's overly dramatic, but her, her credentials are incredible, Stopped. vastly incredible. Yes, Fate stat. Zero, Madoka Magica, you know, tons of very iconic soundtracks under her belt. She is truly a legend. Yes. Mm -hmm. Our animation was done by Ufotable. They're most famously known for working on the Fate series. Um, I completely forgot that they also animated the Gyo OVA, which was the Junji Ito adaptation that was really bad. Um, but I guess no matter how perfect of a creator you are, you have to have a stinker every now and then. Um, I mean, sometimes you got to take the projects that just pay the money, put the food in the mouth, you know? Mm-hmm. That's, that's true. Um, I don't know why, so but some... that sounds dirty. <laughs> Where else do you put your food? <laughs> I don't know. It's just the way you said that. It just, it, I don't know. It's striking me as dirty. <laughs> Go home, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Some interesting facts that I came across while kind of doing some research into the production model was right in the show notes. Apparently, this film made 456.1 million US dollars, which is really incredible to me. And it actually took down Spirited Away as the highest grossing anime film. Yeah, uh, that was actually probably the most surprising thing for me at first. But then I thought about it, and honestly, it makes sense because with everything coming to streaming services however demon slayer mugen trade did not yeah and i think it's also it's also a combination of like the fact that it came out just at a fairly good time it's like there wasn't too many films out there competing against it other than perhaps like godzilla versus kong which was available via streaming yeah. exactly um and really the only way to watch this film and in the broad sense was to go to the theater and it was also coming out at a time where like we said people are feeling a little bit more comfortable about returning to movie theaters because a movie theaters at this point have fairly good uh covid safety protocols and b which is the most important thing people are being vaccinated on a very large scale in the united states so more people are becoming more comfortable with the idea of returning to the movie theater and plus, Demon Slayer is just such a massive hit. Um, I I genuinely don't think that it would have done even half of the total sales that it did if it weren't for all of those factors contributing to that. Yeah, I think... I mean, I think it still would have done incredibly well because, um, as we might remember from a few years ago, it's like the My Hero Academia films and the Dragon Ball Z movies, they did extremely well. Mm-hmm. I don't... I mean, I said back in our first episode that I think Demon Slayer might have reached the point where it's just as popular as My Hero Academia, but I think I'm I might not necessarily think that anymore. No. I think Demon Slayer. No, it's it probably was for like the bubble, but <laughs> definitely not mm-hmm. anymore. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not so sure about that. I mean, I'm not trying to undercut Demon Slayer's popularity. It's certain. It certainly is like a mainstream hit that probably even people outside of the anime space are watching, much like My Hero Academia. But I think My Hero Academia just has a little bit more, I don't know, maybe... Staying power, longevity. Yeah, power. It's pretty much on the same echelon as shows like Naruto. Right, right, exactly. And I'm not trying to take anything away from Demon Slayer by saying that, but I guess my point is it's done incredibly well, and I think... I think a lot of those contributing factors, like we mentioned, are sort of central in why it's done so well, but I kind of think it would have done pretty well anyway. I think part of it might actually be the fact that Demon Slayer, the manga, is done. It's over. So, Mm -hmm. like, a lot of people have already read it and finished it, whereas My Hero is still (laughs) going, but, like, Hmm. new anime season of that just came out. And Demon Slayer, I think, is supposed to uh, resume this winter, right? Uh, I had not checked that schedule myself, but that would not surprise me. Yeah, it's supposed to be really soon. So I think probably what will happen is my hero's been like much, much more consistent and like in our face with content. So that's mm. definitely a contributing factor. But I think once Demon Slayer comes back, you'll see a lot more people talking about it again. I thought I really like seeing numbers. Um, so that's kind of why I pulled so many for the production notes, but apparently um, over 36.9 million tickets were sold. um, And it was the number four film at the overall global box office. So that's 
really impressive. I mean, I, I do agree that it's kind of all the contributing factors of like the pandemic and movie theaters opening back up and vaccinations and whatever have you. But I mean, the series was extremely popular. Um, I remember and I wrote it down in here that when that final volume released, it sold nearly two million copies. Like that's mm. nothing to shake a leg at. Like that's a pretty big deal, especially mm-hmm. for a manga, I'm pretty sure. Also, anything yeah. that unseats Spirited Away is, like, it's got to be at least decent, like, pandemic <laughs> or not. Like, nobody's going to go. Right. Like, you're not going to, like, venture outside during a pandemic if you're going to go watch something that's crap. <laughs> right. Um, let's see. I pulled a quote from uh, Yuma Takahashi, who was the producer of the anime series, um, kind of going back and forth with the production team from Ufotable. And um, they said, I want to make more if I have the opportunity to do so. I'm talking about continuing Demon Slayer. And they all kind of agreed that because Mugen Train was such a contained arc that it worked best in the film format, which I think was very smart. I don't think they could have dragged that out in a way that would have actually been good to make it a complete season. They probably could have contained it in a few episodes within a season, but I think giving it that movie really gave it time and importance to kind of do its thing. And we can talk about that a little more later, but um, I think they were smart with making it a movie. I think it probably, if anything, would have been like the first six episodes or something of the season. But yeah, the movie, it definitely got the budget it deserved was the big thing. Mm. And part of it might have been like a financial decision where they realized that Demon Slayer is sort of like is super hot. So they want to try and figure out a way to capitalize on that. And I think making a feature film as the next piece of the continuing story to offer people was probably a good financial move. And I know a lot of these decisions were made before the pandemic, but it seems like it came out in a time period where pandemic itself didn't really maybe factor as much because it came out you know fairly fairly late um Mm -hmm. like i think if this film came out like in last summer it would not have done this well because people were just not down to go to the theater at all because the pandemic was horrible yeah but um that being said i think it was a smart move to make this next piece a film because they could really up the ante and especially visually because um i went back and read the manga portion that this film adapts and i mean it certainly shows off like a lot of very flashy fight scenes in that manga chapter that they really brought to life in the film and i think giving it the film treatment gives it this sense of gravitas rather than just being like continued episodes in another season so i think from from both an artistic and from a financial perspective i think it does make sense that they would make the next portion of the story into a feature film yeah and um pardon the pun but they basically went ahead and greenlit the film while everybody was still on the train of demon slayer um (laughs) because they they okayed that project halfway through the television broadcast and there wasn't much time between the show ending and getting that movie so it was Mm. still kind of in the public consciousness of 
Mm. Entertainment. Yeah, I hope a lot of people learned from the mistake of Attack on Titan, where, you know, we get we get the first season, and it's the biggest thing ever, and then we wait three years, four years? It was like three long years, time. yeah. <laughs> and Attack on, I mean, Attack on Titan's still very popular, but it never got back to its kingship that it had in 2013. Like, it never got back there. Well, I will start in... Back in 2013, I was watching Ace of the Diamond. I had to wait six years for a sequel. Ugh. Yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know if that's really like a specific shonen problem, or if it's like an industry problem. If they notice like a popular manga, and they're like, "That's got to get an anime right now," and it's like, you no, know, wait until it's like almost done or close to it. Jujutsu <laughs> Kaisen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like. You know, it's going to take a long time for the manga to catch up because they don't want to do what they did with, like, Full Metal Alchemist or Soul Eater anymore because those were, like, awful at the end. Degrading. Yeah, we've been able to been yeah. able to look back at those in, uh, in hindsight. Um, but anyway. Oh, I don't want that to come across as me hating on Jujutsu Kaisen, by the way, because um, I've been watching it and I've been loving every minute of it, so... And, you know, <laughs> episode to come... <laughs> Potential episode to come, yes. I gotta talk about my uh, man's Gojo and my dumb son. So yeah, it, it's just kind of yeah, it's just kind of one of those things. that's like they want to capitalize on hype, sure, but then you finish up the material you're given, and then you just have to wait until the author releases more material. And specifically, Attack on Titans case, it was a monthly, so it took a really long time for there to be any like tangible amount of content to like do stuff with. All right, Ryan, so part of this might be a retread of what we discussed in our series proper episode, but real quick, do you want to run down the cast for us? Yeah, so we were talking about this beforehand, and apparently I did the cast uh, the first time, and I don't remember this, so I might rehash stuff I've already said, so we're going to just run with it. So, And Tom- just for the audience to be aware, Ryan did a horrible job, so go back and listen <laughs> to that episode. I honestly, like, I-, I probably did. I honestly legitimately do not remember, but... Here we go. I'm this gonna, is your this is your redemption arc. Don't you mess it up. You blocked it out of your head. I'm gonna knock it out of the park this time. So <laughs> first of all, we got this character named Tanjiro. Now I don't really remember who this is, uh, but <laughs> I'm told he's the main character. I thought uh, his name was Shotaro. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I think I, I think I, I think I may have watched the wrong movie, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so Tanjiro is the main character. Obviously, he's the He's the kid who saw his entire family get murdered, minus his sister, and he has water jutsus. Uh, in English, he's vo- voiced by uh, Zach Aguilar, who did Ango Natsume and Persona 5 Strikers, who I haven't actually met yet, so either they're very late in the game, or I am so, so far early into the game. He also You're did, far, uh, far early into the game. Yeah. <laughs> he also did uh, Koichi in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Uh, in Japanese, he was voiced by Natsuki Hane. Uh, he did ka- yeah. Kaneki Ken from Tokyo Ghoul. Um, while we're on the English versus Japanese, actually, I gotta ask, who watched this in sub versus dub? I watched it sub. We saw it sub. Uh, yeah, we saw it subbed. We, okay, um, yeah, me too. We so didn't... all of us saw it sub then. Yeah, Tori and I didn't really have a choice because we wanted to see it in IMAX, and it was only being offered in IMAX in Japanese. Not that that's a problem. I mean, that's how I watched the original TV show as well. But um, from everything I hear, from, mostly from you, Ryan, because I know you watched it, the original series on Adult Swim, the dub yeah. is good, and I'm sure I'm sure it stayed just as good. 
Yeah. Um, for me, it was kind of the same. Like, I didn't want to watch it in um, IMAX necessarily, but pretty much when I tried to get tickets, there were they were already like sold out of most good showings, and all the seats were like that were left in them were all up front, and I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. So I basically mm-hmm. just kept on picking showtimes, not looking sub or dub, until I found a theater that had like decent seats, and I was just like, okay, this is. This is it. This is what we're doing. And <laughs> I looked after I purchased it and I was like, okay, we got the sub. But I still loved it. Like uh, the dub was great. The sub is also great. Like you can you're not going to go wrong with this series either way. Mhm. So Nezuko is the little sister who gets turned into a demon and she actually is like kind of absent from this movie for like half of it. Um in English, she's voiced by Abby Trot who plays Tai Takami and uh, I think that's supposed to be Takami actually. She plays Tai Takemi in Persona 5 and Maya Fey in Phoenix Wright. In Japanese, she is voiced by Akari Kito, who plays Barbara in Genshin Impact. Zenitsu is a lightning boy who only knows one move. And in English, she's voiced by Alex Lay, who plays who plays Kaiman and Dora Hidoro. And we just released an episode for that, did we not? We did. Yeah. yeah. And in Japanese, he's voiced by Hiro Shimono, who plays Connie in Attack on Titan and Dobby in My Hero Academia. And I love Dobby in My Hero Academia, by the way. He's a great character. Uh, Angry Boar Boy. Uh, wait, sorry, that's spelled wrong. Uh, Inosuke uh, is an angry boar boy who is voiced by Bryce Pappenbrook in English, who is also Aaron Yeager from Attack on Titan. And Yoshisugu Matsuoka in Japanese, who plays Helios in Sailor Moon Eternal, Eternal and Kirito in SAO. Okay, so Rengoku is new to the movie. He was briefly seen at the end of the anime uh, when you meet all the Hashira. He's the Hashira of Flame, and I kind of feel like when you're born with like bright yellow and red-tipped hair, you're kind of destined to be a guy who has fire magic. So, you know. <laughs> he really takes after they his dad. They all look yeah. like main characters, don't they? No, I mean, yeah, he kind of he kind of w- had like his destiny chosen for him because of his hair. So, I got to think his mother is his stepmother because she looks nothing like him. Yeah, <laughs> no, I thought his, that too. I'm just like, oh, he got all of the genetics from his dad. <laughs> Oh, yes, because he, his dad, and his brother all look identical, but mom is just like, I'm playing. Yeah. I thought that was kind of weird, honestly, but anyways, in English, he's voiced voiced by Mark Witten. Uh, He plays Hazekura in Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, and that's the alien that lived on the electricity tower, which Austin specifically asked me to mention. Um, Tori did that, not me. Tori did that. (laughs) Um, And in Japanese... He's voiced by Satoshi Hino, who plays Tiger's Eye in Sailor Moon Eternal and Sai from Naruto. Uh, Enmu is one of the two main antagonists from this movie. He is the lesser demon that becomes a choo-choo train because, I don't know, I guess he really, (laughs) he grew up watching Thomas the Tank Engine before he became a demon, so, you know. Demon Slayer, the movie, Thomas the Tank Demon. (laughs) Thomas the Tank. Yeah, basically. Um, but yeah, he, uh, he was the villain for like the first half of the movie and in English, he's voiced by Landon McDonald, who plays Kishibe in Jojo's Bizarre Adventure and Kamo in Jujutsu Kaisen. And in Japanese, he's voiced by Daisuke Hirakawa, who plays Rei Ryugazaki in Free and Kakionin, how do you pronounce their name? Kakioin. Kakioin. Thank you. In JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. And then, last notable character is Akaza, 
and Akaza is another one of the antagonists. I'm sorry, I just went on to I just went on to the uh the Demon Slayer page for Akaza and somebody has recently come in here and just bombed the page because all it says is Fortnite is better. <laughs> what? <laughs> this that like entirely derailed my train of thought, but all it says on this page is Fortnite is better. Okay, that's random. <laughs> I'm gonna start over. Okay, and the last major character to be introduced in this movie was Akaza, and Akaza is a upper rank demon who is the secondary antagonist for the rest of this movie after Edmu is, you know, gone. Uh, in English, she's voiced by Lucian Doge. And I'm not sure if that's... No, that's supposed to be Dodge. No, that's Dodge, let's, friend. Let's just that's say Dodge. Dodge. Not the, crypt, I've, I've not the cryptocurrency. In, I've been in crypto for way too long. Okay, in English, she's voiced by Lucian Dodge, uh, who is also Mahito in Jujutsu Kaisen and Hambridge in Little Witch Academia. In Japanese, they are voiced by Akira Ishida, who plays Gara in Naruto, yes, and the boy Karu Nagasaki, Nagisa in Evangelion. Note that we will continue to allow Ryan to do the cast lists for any episode that he is on. I love when Ryan does the cast. I know. This is specifically so he can practice his Japanese pronunciation. Yeah. The only other time is when I go to a sushi restaurant. Yes. (laughs) I would like the tempura, please. The unagi. Garugamesh. The sake. Saki. 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 <laughs> All right. So thank you for that, Ryan. And uh, Edwin, if you would not mind, tell us what this film is about. All right. So the plots about Tanjiro and his team are assigned by the Demon Slayer Corps to accompany Hashira member Kyojiro Rengoku and investigate a string of disappearances abroad the Mugen train. Once aboard, the Demon Slayers fall into the trap of Enmu, a member of the Twelve Kizuki, who forces a group of children to kill them within their dream realms. So yes, lots of serious stuff going on in this film. So I guess, first of all, uh, I don't think so, but has anyone read the manga of Demon Slayer at this point? No. I'm on like volume two. (laughs) Okay, fair (laughs) enough. Um, actually, I was I was really surprised that uh, Comixology was giving away a copy of the first volume totally for free the other week, uh, which is really awesome. I don't think Marvel or DC has ever given me a free volume of anything, um, but that was really cool to see them uh, offering that as a as a freebie. Um, but yes, I uh, in preparation for this episode and just to refresh my mind on the story of what happened in the film. I went back and read the volume of um, of the manga on which this arc is an adaptation of, and I uh, I did that of course through the through Viz's website and the Shonen Jump uh, subscription, which is only two dollars a month. So we're not sponsored, but uh, you should totally totally do that because it's so worth your money. Um, but I guess just initial impressions. Uh, we'll start with Tori. Uh, generally, what did you think of the film? Um, I was thinking about it the other day, and I will describe this film as basically Avengers Endgame in the sense of you took a character that I cared nothing about and made me care by the time the movie was over. Hmm. Interesting. Who did that in Endgame? Iron Man. 
Oh. Weird Marvel comparison aside, um, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was very good. Um, it still gave me the feeling of being kind of caught up in the story the same way that the anime did. Um, I found the pacing a little bit weird. I think it dragged on at certain parts. Um, like, kind of in the beginning, and then it sped up really quick, and then it just, like, all hit the fan. And, um... I think that's my main complaint with it. If I, I don't know why my voice just cracked. I think that is my main complaint with it if I had to find one, in all honesty. Um, but it overall was a good balance of like really serious story with silly moments. I thought the dream sequences were a lot of fun. Um, mm. And we most definitely could talk some more about that. But um, I enjoyed it. I left the theater satisfied and I felt like I got my money's worth and it was cool mm. to be back in the theater watching an anime movie with other people. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So just to backtrack real quick, which character specifically do you think gave you the Tony Stark treatment? <laughs> Rengoku. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I kind of figured that's who you were talking about, but I wasn't sure. I thought, well, she definitely doesn't mean... Um, Zenitsu. <laughs> I will never care about Zenitsu, and I will put that in writing and sign it and date it and notarize it. I don't really think you're alone there. That's like a pretty popular opinion that Zenitsu is just kind of there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think he's everyone's least favorite character. You know, whatever. Easily. Hey, if if Zenitsu is your favorite character, I'm sorry. I'm not. But <laughs> okay. Well, I'm I'm the good cop. Ryan's the bad cop. Yep. Zenitsu is my favorite character. Exactly. Oh, no. See, Edwin, I apologize. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, um, I agree. I definitely thought that it was worth going to the theater and like just being in the theater again was like an experience in of itself. Um, like I was so, so happy. Funny thing, actually, my theater experience was probably one of the most bizarre because they carded me twice for this movie, like to make oh. sure I was 17. So like we get we go up to the to the first thing where the guy takes your tickets and he so he he's like can i see some ids and i'm like why and he's like because i need to make sure you're 17 and i'm like do i not look at least 17 to you and he's like yeah we have to we have to be really careful and i'm like okay you're just doing your job that's fine i thought it was weird but then i go to sit down and apparently they forgot to card a couple people so they were coming through the entire theater carding everyone again and i'm just like what i'm just like i've never had this much trouble going to see an r-rated movie in my life even before i was 17 when i would sneak in yeah i have never heard of that in my life yeah i'm just like is this really like a problem (laughs) like wow it was so weird but no, go, it, it was great. I definitely enjoyed it. Um, a lot of people I know are talking about how it's like the greatest anime movie ever because it's canon, and I disagree. Um, I, I I'd <laughs> like to know where you're getting these sources from because I've looked all over and I've seen a lot of praise, but not people saying that it's their favorite movie. People I speak to in person. Oh. Um, and Ryan's very questionable social circle. Yeah. Because of course we're excluded. Yeah. yeah, of course he's talking to the official Demon Slayer fan group. I'm talking to the official Demon Slayer Discord, of course. Um, mm-hmm. And um, yeah, but a lot of people are saying that they really like it, uh, specifically because it's canon. I'm like, yeah, it's good that it's canon, but that doesn't make it any better or worse. Like, the plot is the plot. And I still enjoyed the plot, but it wasn't like 
my favorite anime movie of all time. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, at, at the at the base level, this film is it is a shonen jump movie. Yeah. Uh, yes. that is that is not to take anything away from it. I think it is a excellent shonen jump movie. I don't say that as a criticism. Uh, but you know, ultimately it is a shonen battle film that just happens to be super excellent. Um, I enjoy it. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I had a lot of fun watching it in the theaters. I think Demon Slayer generally as a TV show is really good at, um, exactly what it is. It is a very well realized thing within its genre it does a lot of things that it genre does and does them extraordinarily well but i mean i don't i don't think i would really count this film among like my personal all-time favorite anime movies but i mean it is really good but mm-hmm. you know that's, i think I mean, it's gonna be me. i think it's gonna be interesting um for people who are gonna be like catching up once i don't know say like 10 years down the line this is all like finished they're gonna have to know oh, I stop after season one, go watch this movie, and then I start season two instead of just going down the playlist that you'll probably have and just, like, plow through season two. Well, it's not the first one. It's not the first show to do so. There's many other shows that Mm -hmm. also have had a movie in between seasons. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think the other fans are going to struggle to, oh, my gosh, I got to watch a movie after season one. I think that's probably the most, like, notable one to have done it in a while, though. That's true. Um, I, would, uh, I certainly like want to, to go back to that later. Cure. I know nothing about Parody Cure, so go ahead. <laughs> Tori, if you're going to introduce that as an example, you have to give us context. <laughs> um, so basically, after the seasons go, they'll introduce these movies where it's like basically the handoff from one cure to another and like all of the cures come together and fight like a common enemy they're all over the place and wild but um they're canonical that's fairly common in like tokusatsu to- style tor- eh, tokusatsu style storytelling that was a that is a tongue twister <laughs> Generally, um, well, we kind of got Ryan's impression. So, Edwin, what did you think of the film? Uh, I'm going to be honest. For an anime film, it's very whatever. Because the way you have to look at it is just that it is an extension to the show. So, without having having prior knowledge to the show, then it really doesn't hold up them that well. And even after, like, watching the show... I, I, I just saw it as like a really long episode yeah. and not as a movie and in some way that works towards its favor and kind of against it in the way that you're contextualizing it because it certainly does not stand alone I mean you have to have familiarity with the series in order to really know what's going on because it literally does pick up as soon as the series is over mm-hmm. and then the next season theoretically will pick up as soon as the film ends it's um, the problem with so, it being canon is that it does just by nature mm-hmm. require prior knowledge 
Right, and and fortunately, Demon Slayer exists as a series that doesn't have a huge barrier of entry, unlike something like, um, I don't know, I'm just going to throw it out there, like the Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z Battle of Gods. It's like, that has a huge barrier of entry to it, because you have to see so much to understand the context of who Goku is, um, and all that stuff, but uh, thankfully Demon Slayer is a 25 episode series, yeah. most people it's very accessible, but still, even so, it is true that like this film doesn't really stand on its own, you have to have that prior knowledge of what happened in the in the series, so I definitely hear you on that. Yeah, um, whenever I go watch an anime film, I go watch it for like the spectacle where the movie actually has like a larger budget than the regular TV series, which in some ways this show did fulfill that with the final fight but um i I guess i was expecting a bit more than hmm and it it, i should have so what i'm trying to say is that i i went into this movie with the idea it'll be as good as like something like promare or like redline Hmm. and end up getting something like the my hero academia movie hmm well, I guess, I mean, I, I certainly didn't have those expectations myself. So I'm I a guess... big fan of Ufotable. That's the thing. I, I mm. had higher hopes for them. Okay. So you, you, you kind of expected this to be, like, the greatest thing they've ever made, and instead it was just kind of, like, great but not excellent? Is that what you're trying More to say? More of a thing with... No, here's the thing. I was expecting this to be, like, anime movie quality because I expected with this larger budget they could do more. Mm. But it, it really fell flat. It's hmm. funny you mentioned that larger budget, actually. It was one of the problems I had with it is they used it in ways that I didn't really like. So I don't know what it is about, like, certain movies or shows that are starting to do this now. Like, anime is obviously, like, mostly 2D, and Demon Slayer particularly, I recognize for its, like, beautiful art style. Like, the attacks, anytime anybody's doing an attack, it looks so gorgeous. But... Mm-hmm. About the time where Enmu becomes the train and it starts to get like overrun with that like shadow... really bad CGI. Yes, yes. I hate the fact that they're like mixing weird CGI with anime. And I'm like, these two styles directly contrast each other. Like, just because you have a bigger budget, you did not need to do this. You can make CGI look well in anime movies. Like, for example, going back to Promare, they used CGI extremely well in that movie because they didn't use it for, like, the characters. They used it, like, for the background destructions and whatnot. So whenever you put it, use the CG towards the characters, which is what you're watching the movie for anyways, then it's painfully obvious and just doesn't mesh well. Yeah, I... I can see what you guys mean there, because it certainly stands out, because you, you look at the characters who are super crisp, you know, got those really detailed colors and, and outlines, and then you Did, look at, like, the, the weird, like, flesh tentacle things. Looks like a PS2 It, it takes villain. me out of the immersion, <laughs> Yeah. It, yeah. To me, for, for me, and I, I, I totally hear you guys' criticisms, and I largely agree, but for me, I think it made it visually more unsettling which kind of to me ties in with the mood they were going for 
so it didn't really bother me that much it's like i can i can visually look at this and be like yes this is kind of not excellent cg but i understand that this is supposed to make me feel uncomfortable and it look kind of gross so i can kind of forgive it in that way it's horrible not in the way they're trying to get me okay i mean that's fine i mean it these things hit hit different people uh, differently, but I guess we can talk, you know, broadly about since since we brought up um, some of the visual deficits with like some of the CG stuff. I would say specifically one of the ways that this film shines pretty well is in its action direction, because I can definitely see whenever I was reading through these chapters of the manga, it's like. Basically, everything that happens in the film is taken directly from the manga, but the difference is that a lot of the scenes and the moments in the manga are sort of, they're staged and they're presented, you know, in panels, but the way that they directed the way that action works, and this is true for the series and for this film, just enhances these fights so, so much just to see them in motion compared with the way that the camera moves, the way that the music is coordinated, and just makes these big, like, visceral fight scenes hit so much more and make the stakes feel so much more serious. I know you guys have only really experienced this in the anime, but I will say that, you know, watching it versus reading it, you can really tell that the people that they've gotten to do the fight choreography, um, and especially the camera work, are like kind of you know top level people doing doing these kinds of battles it's not just um it's not phoned in like you can tell that they really care about making a great visual experience with the way that they stage these fights from very little guidance from the manga again it's sort of paced out in the way that it happens like you know the tanjiro throws the sword into the demon at the very end but it sort of happens in two panels and it doesn't really register. It's like a blink and you miss it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But you watch it in the film and it's like, dang, they really they really wanted you to know that that sword hit and it hit hard. Yeah. Like, I think that's kind of true with like any comic like or manga to animation. Like, It's one thing to see it and kind of picture in your head what it was supposed to look like. Then it's another to actually watch it happen. Mm. it's the reason i don't really read action stuff as much anymore because it's like i tend to just flip through the pages until i get back to the story unless it's like particularly well drawn I guess looking at the story, I mean, again, we sort of established that this is, this is basically a direct continuation of of where we were in the anime. Um, and then we get introduced to our, basically our principal character of this film, which is um, Rengoku, 
the flame Hashira. And what did you guys think of him? Because uh, I really, I really liked this character. I thought he served as a good sort of. Um, he was kind of All Might-ish. I thought he basically represents this idea of what Tanjiro could see himself being in the future. He's like Tanjiro, like five years from now, if he you know, continues to go along this path of, you know, righteousness and awesome demon powers and also, oh no, and not demon powers, but awesome demon slaying powers, excuse me. Um, and I thought he served as a great, like, mentor figure for, uh, for Tanjiro. And he seemed to really resonate, or Tanjiro seemed to really resonate with, um, with Rengoku as a, as a role model throughout the film. Um, so what did you guys think of him since he's the primary like new character in the story? I thought they introduced him really well. And the one thing that is kind of difficult in a situation of like introducing a very powerful character um, is you have to demonstrate just how powerful they are. And um, I went to see this with a couple of friends and the very beginning where he where they're fighting like just ordinary demons my friend was like, I thought that scene was unnecessary because he just handled them in like four seconds. And I'm like, no, no, that's why that was there is to show you that he could handle this in four seconds because yeah, then they're, they're about to go up against mm-hmm. somebody who's got to be like, you know, powerful. So that's your baseline is he can handle, you know, nothing demons in four seconds. Mm-hmm. And I thought that yeah, was like, a really good introduction to just how strong he was. And he, like, right, ran through, like, what, two train cars as well? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think scenes like that are important because you're you're establishing a baseline of understanding of, like, okay, this, this character is this powerful so that they can set it up to it being plausible that he could hold, him, hold his own against, like, a, what was it, like, a first rank or A rank demon later on. I mean, we yeah. eventually know, know what happens at the end of the film. Um, but he is able to hold his own pretty well against that character, and I think it is important to establish, you know, his, you know, quote-unquote power level, even though that's silly, and I don't like characterizing it that way. Yeah, I blame um, Dragon Ball for the concept of power levels. <laughs> it definitely made me want to go check out the manga a lot more, because I really ended up liking his character. Um, I was taken aback by how, like, extremely powerful he was because he isn't the highest ranking Hashira, right? I mean, I I think we're supposed to assume that the Hashira are all like kinda awesome <laughs> and they okay. all like they're all like super super mega ultra awesome good demon slaying machine people. <laughs> okay, that, that that's is exactly fine. how the mangaka intended you to interpret that, yes. Well, I'm Those glad we're on the same words. wavelength. <laughs> <laughs> Those are, we can quote him on that, folks. Um, no, okay, that makes sense. But I, I really was just taken aback by, like, seeing his power in action. And um, especially during the fight scene with Akaza. I was just like, whoa, like, this dude's really strong. Um, I also was reading a little bit, and apparently, I had mentioned this earlier, but I think it's neat that apparently he's supposedly canonically deaf or semi-deaf. Um, because I didn't know that yeah it happens during a fight or something like that I didn't want to read too much because I didn't want to spoil myself 
too much on it, but um, I guess that explains why in the beginning he's just screaming, delicious, delicious, delicious. Oh, well, not that he's screaming, but mm-hmm. he's speaking at an elevated volume. Okay. He was speaking high enough for everyone on that cart to be looking at him, so I don't think screaming <laughs> is really that wrong of a choice there. That is fair. And, and then when Tanjiro and everybody was trying to get his attention, like, he was just flat out ignoring them. So, like, now that I'm putting that together with, like, what I've read, but I don't I don't know if that happens before. It must happen before. I'm just confusing myself. But um, putting that all together, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I can see how that would be a thing. And that's actually pretty neat if that's true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, I really love that introduction of him in the episode. Yeah. I really love that introduction of him in the film because it it sort of establishes that he's kind of he's kind of like Tanjiro in a way where he's just like very very earnest about things, very um open about his kind of love of life sort of thing. So him just like being served this food and loudly exclaiming delicious over and over with this, you know, big sort of happy jubilant face and grin that he has um that is both kind and powerful it's like i i definitely see that they're trying to show this as a he's the kamina to uh to tanjiro simon it's like this is this is who you could be this is like the the ideal self i suppose or the the role model that he can look to yeah um because he matches that same level of earnestness and passion and uh and uh um, happiness through trauma that Tanjiro also has. Mm-hmm. And I, I was thinking about this um, sort of independently of, of the film, but I think one thing that this series does really well is that it balances just abject horror with real, like, raw hope at the same time. And I think one without the other, there would be a thematic disconnect because I think that the the hope and the passion and the love that Tanjiro has for not only Nezuko, but basically everyone that he comes across and how he's able to empathize with them, I don't think that that strikes quite as hot or quite as um, uh, poignant as it would have if the world that he lived in was not so absolutely horrible. Like these demons do horrible things they eat people there's like constantly innocent blood being spilt constantly the threat of innocent people being killed and yet tanjiro has the audacity to be hopeful and to fight for the innocent anyway and Mm -hmm. i think that's a super powerful message i mean it's a very exaggerated representation of how the real world can be at times but I think it's just a great message to see. It's like, is the world horrible? Yes. But there are people out there doing or trying to be different and trying to stand up for the little guy against sort of abject horror. And I think that that's generally what Demon Slayer is about. But I think that that, again, that thematic tension only works if um, the horror is really horrible and the hope is really hopeful. I guess that's my point I'm trying to make, if that makes sense. Very well said. So Ryan mentioned uh, in the cast that there's essentially like two principal antagonists, but let's talk about the first one first, because I think the first one is really interesting. So I don't really remember 
100% how things went down in the TV series, but correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed really interesting that the first demon that basically possesses the train was kind of using other human beings to do his dirty work by mm-hmm. preying on their uh, on their um, sorrow, essentially. And I thought that was really fascinating. So, um, you know, what did you guys think about the dynamic between, you know, the first demon? He's not just necessarily jumping in and, you know, trying to immediately punch Tanjiro and the gang, like, in the face and kill them and eat them. He... He does this, like, psychological warfare where he tries to get other human beings to go after these characters for him. So, what did you guys think about that? Sounds pretty much like a demon to me. Well, well said. (laughs) Yeah. I thought it was, um, interesting. Very, like, villainous in the sense of, like, I'm not gonna get my hands dirty. I'm gonna let other people do the hard work and I'll reap the benefits. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, one of them was dying. One of the kids was, like, dying, I think. And he had tuberculosis. Yeah, yeah. yeah when the little girl was like, "Ew, you have tuberculosis or something like that." I don't. Mm. That was kind of the general effect of the line. But mm-hmm. yeah. um, go ahead. But like, yeah, like I, I felt bad for them because I'm just like, even if you had, you know, succeeded, there's no way that he would have actually like held up his end of the deal and like cured you or something. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it was sort of a you know a, a story within a. Uh, it was sort of like the miniature like little faustian bargain going on there it's mm-hmm. just like the these kids you know selling their souls to this demon who says that you know he's going to do something nice for them or whatever but really he's just going to use them and you know toss them to the side mm-hmm. um but i thought the the way that his like powers manifested by like putting people to sleep and like attacking them inside of their dreams was really interesting mm-hmm. um not to mention just how absolutely hilarious it was in some of those dream sequences, especially Inosuke's, where he just imagines himself as this great leader and everyone else is like his pawn or his uh, underling, if you guys remember that. Yeah, uh, yeah, he called him his underlings. Yes, that was that was extremely funny. And I thought it was very, you know, even Zenitsu, even like Zenitsu's dream was like kind of cute because it was just like him frolicking in the fields with Nezuko. It's like that was his biggest dream. Um, that's just, the thing know, I hate about sweet. Zenitsu, though, is his entire purpose is that he likes Nezuko. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's it's not great, but I, I mean, I, I thought it was kind of sweet. Yeah. You know, Ske, though, he's just he's just chaotic lawful. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, Tanjiro's dream is basically just him being back with his family before they were all, you know, brutally murdered by the demon uh, that ended up turning Nezuko. And um, those were some very poignant scenes. I think I think it did a good job of sort of um, bolstering a little bit more Tanjiro's relationship with his family. Because we don't get a whole lot of that. Like, we see some of it in the first episode, but pretty quickly we are you know, shown that they are kind of, I don't mean that to sound so dismissive, but they're kind of like plot devices to get him, you know, moving forward with his, like, motivation and his demon slaying career and all that stuff. Um, So it was nice for them to be able to go back and sort of show us some of the building blocks of his relationship with his family, like with his siblings and his mother and, uh, and that was very sweet. Like, even though it was in the dream and it wasn't necessarily real, it's like the emotions were real. Um, 
you got to see, you know, what life was like before everything went to crap. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was ultimately very, very brave and very telling of um, Tanjiro to, you know, make the realization that, like, this isn't real. Like, I have to accept the reality that my family is dead and I have to move on. Um, a very WandaVision type moment, isn't it? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> that That is kind of a trope it. that's been done, like, a lot of times, though. Like, mm-hmm. the family's gone existential and or like you know hallucinogenic i can get my family back and it's like you know you're happy for a minute and then you realize i have my job to do or something like that trope has been done Mm -hmm. a lot so i was like i obviously know it's gonna happen here but like it was kind of heart-wrenching to see his little like he was running into the forest to like escape and his little brother is like running after him begging him to not go i'm like oh god please stop and I know, was... I got so teary. I was just <laughs> yeah. like, oh, yeah. please don't do this to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was hurtful. It hurt. Yeah. And uh, and I think the emotions were really poignant there, and I think they did a great job conveying that. Oh, yeah. I did like they... I did like that they balanced out the really heartfelt, emotional dream of Tanjiro's with just the silliness of um, Inosuke's and Zenitsu's. Mm-hmm. It, it mm-hmm. definitely made the blow a lot more... <laughs> like easier to deal with um because mm-hmm. tanjiro's was just so emotional and like having that bounce back and forth between like okay these guys are just dreaming of something silly meanwhile tanjiro's mm-hmm. over here in his like own personal hell <laughs> We don't really see too much of it, but I think we get enough to understand where he's coming from. There were a lot of scenes where we see like Rengoku's um, family life and his growing up years as a child and how he, if I'm understanding this correctly, his dad was like also like a flame Hashira, maybe not a Hashira, but he could like do the flame that, concentration that breathing I think thing. they're going to be exploring later because it was like he had like a There's dance. a letter yeah there's the letter that the dad had left but he didn't read before he passed away right right um so but but we see these these flashback scenes of him as a little boy with his brother and his mom and his dad and you see that he has some you know familial conflict there it's like his dad is kind of estranged from the family a bit in a similar way that tanjiro's dad was as well so you know again that's kind of a a connection between the two they're kind of mirrors of each other um, but I really loved the, it, it was such an interesting choice, and I don't really necessarily know what it means, but I, I kind of like it anyway. Like, that, especially that scene where his mother is talking to him, and she has this, she has this expression on her face that makes her look, like, kind of hostile and kind of harsh, but she, she tells him something very profound, and she, she teaches him about the idea of, like, 
listen, Rengoku, you are a very gifted and strong and smart and intelligent child. You know what that means, right? That means you have a responsibility to take care of people that are weaker than you. And I, for one, I love that message. I think that's extremely important. Um, but at the same time, I thought it was just so interesting that they characterized his mother as kind of this very frank, kind of cold-looking person, but she says these really heartfelt and emotionally deep and generous things and i think maybe they were just trying to show the fact that she was ill maybe presenting on her face and again i don't really necessarily know what that means but i just like that contrast i guess that visual contrast do you guys have any thoughts about that did that stand out to you guys at all not especially like go ahead oh i was gonna say i thought she was gonna be a bad parent too (laughs) (laughs) yeah it, it kind of threw me off, and I'm just like, is this wrong? Like, did they do this wrong? Did Should they have characterized her as a little bit more of, like, showing her heart on her sleeve or something? Or are they trying to make a point here? I don't necessarily know what that point is, but I think, I think it's interesting to I think the point is, like, they want about. people to look out for people. But, like, also, it kind of is like, he had a good upbringing, so he turned out, like, as good as he did. Like... Mm-hmm. I think it's just kind of right. like a rare instance of like he just kind of had it good and turned out really well as a result. Yeah, I mean it shows that you know his his upbringing, you know, even though his dad was kind of aloof, it's like it it ended up forging forging who he was and you know informing his his outlook on things and the person that he eventually becomes. So going into this film, I I had no idea like specifically where it was going narratively, so it kind of it really took me off guard that Rengoku ended up dying in the end. Like, I don't think I expected that at all. Like, Tori, I remember you telling me, like, before we went to see the film, that you got spoiled on that someone dies. Um, did you know it was going to be him? Um, I did, unfortunately. I had read mm. a spoiler, just point blank, that said uh, Rengoku dies. And I'm just like, okay, thank you for that, first of all. Well, um, that's just great. Whoever did that should be hanged, oh, metaphorically. I've, I have had an even worse spoiler. And I know one of our talking points is where do you think the story is heading from here? I have had, unfortunately, and I do not know if it's true or not, an even worse spoiler. And if that is actually what happens... I think I'm going to just put it down and walk away. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Um, But all that being said, like, I knew that there was going to be a character death, and I knew it couldn't be a main character. So I basically just put together the pieces and thought, okay, it's definitely going to be Rengoku. Well, the way they were setting him up and the way they were making it all about him, like, it just made sense. Right, exactly. But I I don't know. It's like, what did you guys think, like... Did Rengoku's death shock you, or did you kind of know what was going to happen? It felt inevitable. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of expected him to go a little longer into the series. Um, mm-hmm. But then, once once uh, Enmu vanished, I like thought that we were actually like getting ready to wrap up, and then mm-hmm. Akaza jumped out, and I was like, oh, somebody's going to die. Yeah. <laughs> And for me, I I mean, I kind of thought the same way. I was like, oh, the train stopped. We defeated the demon. Time for credits. Yeah. Um, And then this other, like, top-tier demon comes out of nowhere. Uh, He also comes out of nowhere in the manga as well. And just, like, frickin' rips Rengoku a new one and then runs away. 
So if I had to have like one major criticism, it would be that because it does feel a little random, even though I think the scene and the fight itself and everything around it is good. It's good content. I but think the imp- what I think what's going to happen is he's going to become Tanjiro's like white whale, basically. Mm. And Tanjiro is going to use Rengoku's death as motivation for like at least going forward another good chunk of the series. So yeah. it's probably set up for stuff that's going to be, yeah. I I think he's I think we haven't seen the last of him for sure. So this is probably like mm-hmm. it kind of really yeah, probably feels out of place right now, um, and it like kind of was like it did just happen out of nowhere. Like they wrapped up the plot that had been happening for the entire movie, and then it's like oh by the way nope not done, um, yeah. But we and definitely we know, haven't seen we... the last of Akaza. Oh sure, no way. Um, and and I think it's it's very reasonable for us to assume that you know Muzan being this you know the big bad of the series. I mean he's pulling strings everywhere, so it's not inconceivable that this character just shows up out of nowhere and you know kills off one of the most powerful Hashira or one of the lead you know demon uh, demon slayers in the Demon Slayer core. Uh, it's not inconceivable, but in terms of like a narrative beat it does it does definitely seem out of nowhere because it kind of is yeah um yeah it was a little odd and very sudden and that's kind of why i complained about the pacing earlier um i feel like it's a slight pacing problem but it also just kind of randomly happens out of nowhere so mm. it's weird mm-hmm. i will say in terms of the pacing you know going back to the source material it's it's about the same um but i think that it feels a little bit less strange because like of the chapter breaks it's like the chapter breaks in the manga sort of you know obviously they break things up and they're i don't know if i don't know if demon slayer is a monthly or bi-monthly or weekly probably not weekly manga but um it probably feels just more poignantly weirdly paced because of just the chapter structure. Mm-hmm. Um, not that that's really an excuse because a film can kind of make that better. I, I think what would have made a little bit more sense is if we got some sort of establishing scene of there being a reason why Akaza shows up. Like maybe Muzan sends him there. Um, something instead of him just like appearing. Uh, yeah, I think I think, I think that, that was probably the biggest part for me too. Is that it, it, he had no purpose; he was just being a demon. Right. He seems he's not to bel- belabor the point, but he just seems out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, but I will say the fight was really fun. Uh, I thought ultimately, uh, Rengoku's death scene and all of the surrounding emotions with it was very well done very poignant um and it it does kind of end it on a Gurren Lagann episode 8-esque note where you know our our three our four Simons you know go off into the next part of the story but instead of into depression they go into you know more reinforced vigor for you know knowing that they need to defeat the demons, but they are inspired by Rengoku's sacrifice. Um, I guess one of the final things that we should probably talk about 
is the continued unfortunate saga of Nezuko uh, never being allowed to say anything. And I think that that kind of hurts, even though I know the whole joke is that she can't talk. But I, I just want, I want her to be a more active participant in this story. I mean, so much about her is so interesting and I want to hear these events unfolding from her perspective. I don't know why they constantly just make her quiet all the time. And not just quiet, like, silent. She never says anything. It's kind of funny And I don't you think that. I like that. It's funny that you said that, because when we were going through the cast, and I got to Nezuko, in my mind, I was just like, wait, did she actually, like, do anything? <laughs> like... <laughs> I don't really think she said anything except for, like, making grunts when she was, like, writing. I agree completely with you, but then I try to contextualize it in the sense of, like, well, at least she can hold her own and is, like, like, not defenseless. It would be one thing if she didn't talk and was completely and utterly defenseless, Mm -hmm. but the fact that she can hold her own and saves Tanjiro's butt and everybody else's butt multiple times, like... She yeah. is a good character, and I would like to see mm-hmm. more of her personality, but um, at least, like I said, she can fend for herself, and yeah. I think sometimes in a lot of shonen shows, the female characters get just kind of put on the back burner and can become helpless and things like that, but Nezuko makes a stand for herself, and yeah. that's an important detail, at least. Yeah, I I completely agree. I think we've seen time and time again how she is becoming more self-sufficient, more aware of how to use her demon powers, um, and more controlling over this, you know, curse that she has. I just wish that we could hear her tell her story. Like, I just want, I want to hear from her, and I hope that eventually we get to the point in the show where she doesn't maybe have to wear the thing on her mouth because and the quicker the better because that would be great because she would just add an extra dynamic layer to the storytelling that i think the series could benefit from yeah instead of her being kind of like lassie and tanjiro being the boy it's just like what is it lassie there zenitsu's stuck in the well (laughs) (laughs) which let's be honest if it was any character it would happen to him exactly So the final final discussion point before we get into a few of the listener questions that we had. For you guys, how does this movie rank among all train anime that you've seen? <laughs> uh, lesser than Bacano. This is a very important uh, question. Okay, less than Bacano. But is it greater than Galaxy Express? I don't know, maybe. I, I liked so. it more than Cabaneri, but not as much as Bacano. Okay. Good to know. It's very important to have a full-throated discourse about which train anime is superior. 
Although I will say the one superior thing about Kabaneri is the one lady with all the muscles. Yes, she does make that train go big choo-choo. Choo-choo. Yeah. <laughs> I do think, though, that any train anime is below Thomas the Tank Engine. Oh, well, that's a given. Right. So mm-hmm. Thomas reigns supreme still, but this was still, this is like mid-tier of train anime. all right so that hard-hitting conversation aside let's move into some of the uh questions that we got from some listeners so at lewis comedian and he asks my question is how angry do you think the people in first class felt dealing with all that demon bs frankly they were probably all asleep too but i'm sure that they were thinking i did not pay a premium to have to deal with this nonsense I think the one sentence that I can say to sum it all up is, but did you die? (laughs) Because by some miracle, because by some miracle, despite the train derailing and flipping, no one died. And they made a point of saying that. That is true. They made a point to say no one, no one died. So they should be grateful. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I am tired demons of all these monkey. I'm tired of all these monkey fighting demons on this Monday to Friday train. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we got some wonderful t- questions from our Discord, which you should totally join. ThirdImpactAnime.com. You can find the link there. Uh, from our wonderful question giver at at It's Basil Time. Um, so he always gives us more questions than what we need. So I'm just going to skip to the most hard hitting one. Why is Boar Kid still the best? I mean, he just is. I mean, he's shirtless, barely wearing pants, has two jagged swords and a boar head. I mean, what else do you want? He showed so much emotion this time that he cried through his mask. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And it was very glorious. Um... I will say, I thought it was interesting that I, I kind of expected it to happen somehow, but he never takes the boar mask off in this movie. Yeah, it actually, I happens. did kind of expect to see that, too. Mm-hmm. It stays on the whole time. I think we talked about this in our first episode on the TV series, but I'm sure it smells horrible in there. Yeah. Ew, I bet it does. That sounds Ugh. familiar. I'm pretty sure we said that exact thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, okay, here's another companion piece to that question. What boar kid thing the boar kid did was your favorite in this movie? <laughs> Probably the aforementioned crying through the mask. Yeah, that was a good one. That or the underling dream. Yeah, I think you basically said it there, Ryan. Yeah. I liked when he used his mask as a deterrent for all those demon eyes and wasn't put to sleep. And basically was like, Tanjiro, you're about to kill yourself, stop. Oh yeah, <laughs> that, that was funny. That was, ac- that was actually a really clever piece of writing there, because mm-hmm. they established that like the demon's eyes don't know where Inosuke is looking, so they can't look him directly in the eye, because all they see is the boar eyes, which aren't his. Yeah. yeah. That was pretty. That was pretty smart. That was a great way for them to, in a very JoJo's manner, sort of wiggle out of a very difficult villain situation. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Boar Kid had a lot of great moments in this film. Yeah. And I think the last. I think the last thing I want to 
I think the last question from Basil we want to address is, do you think the movie is worth making as much money as it has? And I'm going to toss this one over to Edwin. Like, since you're probably the most lukewarm on the film, like, do you think it really deserves all the accolades and box office success that it has gotten? It just happened to come out at a right place, right time. I think I think there's a lot of truth in that. I mean, I still think it's a good movie, but I think you're I think you're onto it. I think, um, like we mentioned before, the fact that it came out when it did, and like being the first movie in theaters for a lot of people definitely helped it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But all in all, yeah, it was it was a good anime movie, but. Mm-hmm. It did not really deserve to unseat Spirited Away. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm thinking, too. And yeah. I know it's a different time. Like, whenever Spirited Away came out in theaters, you know, it was 2002. You know, anime wasn't nearly this massive worldwide cultural mainstream phenomenon that it is now. Um, and But just... Spirited Away was the top for, like, so long. Right. But yeah, I just think its success, you know, speaks to a lot of different things. I mean, it is a lot of, you know, right place at the right time things, but I think it also shows off, you know, anime's mainstream appeal now. It's just like we're we're a long way from, you know, it being 2002 where anime was more of a niche thing and people really only knew it as like Pokemon. It's like now anime is firmly mainstream and I think the box office success kind of shows that off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have enjoyed all the posts I've been seeing about people talking about taking their kids to go see it and how good of a time their kids have had. How old are these children? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I guess old enough to have watched Demon Slayer properly to go see the movie. That's cool. (laughs) So, I mean... Probably like 13-year-olds. Yeah, it's yeah. better than when, when when ooh, hold on. It is better than when we went to go see Deadpool and legitimately there was at least an 8-year-old in the row in front of us. God, <laughs> I hated that. Oh dear. Um I will say my least favorite thing about this film is the gosh darn logo. It looks horrible. It looks like somebody <laughs> made it in MS Paint in like 15 seconds and it's bad. Who's that stupid impact it? font? I mean, if you told me they did, I'd believe you. But yeah, that's the worst thing. Logo, bad. Do it over Very again. Very bad. Very yes. bad. Okay, guys. So we are now closing. We are at the end of the episode. But the the very, very final thing, I want everybody to go around and say your favorite moment from the movie. So alphabetical order. Edwin, what was your favorite moment from the film? When the movie ended. Okay, stunning, glorious recommendation for the film. Uh, Ryan, what is your favorite uh, moment from the movie? Probably the moment where Tanjiro realizes how to beat him, and every time he gets put to sleep, he just kills himself. And then he's like about, he's getting put to sleep so frequently, he's like, wait, shit, is this a dream or is this real life? That was a very, that reminded me of Doctor Strange. Yes. Yeah, yeah. A little bit. Dormammu, I've come to bargain. <clears throat> Tori, your favorite moment? Can I cheat and pick two? I guess. <clears throat> no, that's fine. I'll pick one. Um, if I had to pick just one, probably when Inosuke's crying and telling Tanjiro not to cry 
And he's just like, no matter how bad or pathetic you feel, you still have to keep on living. Mm-hmm. I and love I'm that like, moment, too. For such an idiot, those are very wise words, sir. <laughs> oh, for me, I always struggle with this one because I either blank and can't think of anything or I have too many to pick. So I think probably my favorite moment of the film was just the f like whenever they finally beat the train Hashira because it's like or pfft, the train Hashira. Wow. Could you imagine? Um, <laughs> well, I think you, you my mean favorite when the demons beat the train Hashira. Ah, stop. I'm confused. <laughs> um, um, I think my favorite, my favorite moment of like personal, like emotional resonance in the film, I guess was when they finally beat the train demon. It's like, it took them so long and he was such a magnificent threat more so than any other demon that they fought in the in the series thus far it's like when they finally beat him it was very cathartic um it sucks that they were immediately <laughs> given a demon that was even more difficult that they weren't able to beat but i just felt you know a profound sense of catharsis whenever they finally you know beat the train demon so um i enjoyed that quite a bit all right guys so that has been our lengthy discussion of demon slayer the movie Mugen Train or Demon Slayer, Mugen Train the movie, whatever you want to call it. Uh, thank you guys so much for joining me for this episode. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Uh, this has been another episode of the Third Impact Anime Podcast. If you'd like to support us, you can head on over to our website, which is thirdimpactanime.com, and listen to any of our previous episodes. If you would like to help us out even more, it would be really awesome if you went over to Apple Podcasts and wrote us a review and gave us a rating because that helps us out so very much. Uh, if you'd like to support us financially, you can find us over on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash thirdimpactanime. And if you just want to keep up with the stuff that we're doing, you can follow us over on Twitter at ti underscore anime. My personal Twitter is at BebopShock, where you can follow me, Austin. And uh, Edwin, where can people connect with you on the internet? Uh, you can follow me by Twitter, SwiftZX00. And would you and Ryan like to pitch your YouTube channel that hopefully will be back at some point? Yeah, uh, our channel is called Midshelf Gaming, and that's on YouTube. And it's good, I've been told. Yes, I like, I like your content, but only when you make it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and Tori, where can people connect with you? Anyway, you can find me over on Twitter at WorstWaifu, where you can see all of my fantastic high-quality anime NFT art creations that I make instead of paying attention to the <laughs> podcast. Thanks for that, Tori. Uh, You're welcome. <laughs> anyway, thank you all at home for listening. We will see you in the next one. You forgot to do my social. Oh, yeah, Ryan, where can people connect with you on social? I thought you were just going to, you know, quit there with your uh with with plugging the video game channel, but what about what about you personally? No, I I use the bird site now. Now that Facebook okay. is, you know, crap. Um you can follow me at Midshelf Ryan on Twitter. Um I mostly post random thoughts that I have and or a running list of every video game I've completed for the year. Uh with Attack on Titan, I am up to I think it's number 24 now. 23. That is that is excellent because I've been doing the same thing, but I'm stuck at number four. Yeah. In my yeah. defense, uh, 
I don't really have a social life. <laughs> there, there. You're on a podcast. People on podcasts, by definition, don't have social lives. They're all a bunch <laughs> of losers. Yeah. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll see you in the next one. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye.